After that, Lord willing, we'll get into this idea, the seven things that we're supposed to add to our faith as we come to Christian maturity. But tonight I want to talk about your faith, (laughs) and let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth and, and what the Bible has to say about faith in general and the faith and now your faith and eventually how we can add to our faith. I pray that you would help us to see the, the, the power of personal faith and what happens when we make it ours. And so please give me the words to say, give us ears to hear, and may we understand the awesome power of personal faith. In Christ's name, amen. And so this... <laughs> our excuse me <laughs> our text verse and beside this giving all diligence add to your faith that's an important phrase to me the lord gave me that phrase years ago uh, anytime i i write something uh, or we we produce something not in the church but but for consumption of others it's usually under the label of add to your faith because that's kind of the purpose we want people to be adding to their faith. It's one thing to be saved, but salvation, saving faith is not the end. It's actually the beginning. It's the beginning of a whole new life. And so some people get saved and then they, they kind of uh, get, get at ease in Zion. Well, I'm saved. What else is there? Well, that's, there's a whole new world now. Just as imagine a baby that says, hey, I'm here, nothing else to do. Uh, no, the baby wants to grow and move and learn. And the same thing should be with, with a a Christian. And so we talked for the last two or three months about the faith, and the faith consists of the doctrines taught by Christ and his disciples. It, it refers to the whole system of truths God intends for Christians to believe. Now that begins with the fundamental doctrines of saving faith, uh, things like the virgin birth of Christ, the blood atonement, uh, the resurrection of Christ, and so on. Once we believe those things, God wants us to learn the faith. So saving faith opens the door to the faith, and really every Christian should believe the Bible. Would you agree with that? This idea that Christians should pick and choose what they want to believe, uh, that's ungodly, folks. That's a form of humanism. It's a form of self-worship where I get to decide what I'm going to believe. Uh, And God may give you free will, but there's consequences if you don't use it wisely. right? We're we're expected uh, to choose wisely or we suffer consequences. And so the faith refers to the whole system of truths God intends for Christians to believe. Now, here's a beautiful truth. The faith becomes your faith when you're born again through saving faith in the personal work of Jesus Christ. So the difference between the faith out here and my faith is that I made the faith my faith. Does that make sense? So my and your are words that show possession. This is a piano. Whose piano is it? Is it your piano? Is it my piano? Really, it's God's piano. Amen? Oh, this is my Bible. There are Bibles in the bookstore. They're not mine. They're not yours. What makes it yours? Because you own it. You took possession of it. You received it. And the faith becomes your faith when you receive the faith as your own. 
when you put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the faith becomes your faith as now you claim it as your own. Isn't that a blessing? And I asked tonight, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, is it the faith or is it your faith? Hopefully it's your faith. You know, every child that grows up in our homes has to make that decision. At, at one point, it's mom and dad's faith. But if they're going to go to heaven at some point, it needs to become my faith. It needs to become their faith. Uh, every person out here, nobody's born a Christian, right? Uh, everybody out there is born a sinner, and they have to make the faith their faith by receiving it and owning it uh, as personal. That's why we ask people, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior? He's a Savior, or He's the Savior, whether He's your Savior or not. But whenever I was a 16-year-old boy, the back row of Blessed Hope Baptist Church, on a Saturday afternoon after a youth revival, the Savior became my Savior. And so at some point, at some point in time, <clears throat> the Savior became your Savior, and the faith became your faith. So we want to get to this place where we can learn to add to our faith. But before we can add to our faith, I think we need to learn more about how the Bible uses this phrase, those two little words, your faith. That phrase, your faith, is found in the Bible 24 times in the King James New Testament. And 24 times. And so what I want to do tonight is just as quickly as we can, do a quick overview of most of the verses that include the phrase, your faith, and we're going to learn some important truths along the way, I want you to see the power of your faith. I want you to see what God says about your faith. We know that your faith can save your soul, but what else can it do? It does an awful lot of other things that we want to dive in. We'll actually end where we started in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 5. But now let's turn to the book of Matthew. And I've set these up to where most of the, most of the way through, we're gonna, the main points are going to be uh, in the biblical order that we find them in the books of the Bible. Matthew chapter 9, now some of the, the sub-points, some of the verses that agree with the, the main point we're on, we'll just pull those forward and show them to you under that main point. But for the most part, we'll be just going through the Bible from Matthew to uh, 2 Peter. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and let's look at verse 29. Then touched he their eyes, saying, and this is Jesus talking, according to your faith, be it unto you. That's one of the most amazing verses in Scripture to me. According to your faith, be it unto you. Another gospel puts it this way, according to your faith, so be it. What if God did things in your life according to your faith? Can I tell you a secret? He does. This is number one when we look at your faith. Your faith changes your opportunities. This is the power of your faith. Your faith changes your opportunities. It can literally change your reality. The reality was this was a blind man. 
Now, wait, wait a minute. We know that people don't go from being blind to being seeing just because somebody touches them. Unless they can. And in this case, Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. The blind man's faith changed his opportunity. It changed his reality. So you might say, well, I'd, I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have any options. Well, unless you choose to have faith in God, then your options change. Amen? The power of your faith. So number one, your faith changes your opportunities. Look at Luke chapter 8. We'll move fairly quickly through these. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 25, we know that the disciples are in the boat, they're on the lake, the winds and the waves come, they wake up Jesus, Master, we perish, he, he stands up, rebukes the wind and the raging water, they cease, there was a calm, verse 25, and he said unto them, where is your faith? And they being afraid wondered, saying, one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Number two, faith can be misplaced. These men had faith in Jesus, but where was it now? <laughs> they believed he was the Son of God. Where is that faith now? They believed he could feed the, the 5,000. Where is that faith now? I just read in my... my uh, Bible reading uh, in the New Testament, I'm um, reading through the book of Mark, and uh, along with Old Testament and Proverbs and Psalms and so on, and he feeds the 5,000, and then not too long later, there's another situation where he says, hey, these people have been here three days, we can't send them home, and so we're going to need to give them some food to eat. And the disciples said, Lord, how are we going to feed all these people? And I imagine the Lord just stand there looking at him. Hello, guys. You wanna? You don't have any thoughts about that? We can't feed all these people. He says, "Go out and see how much we have." And that time they had more than the last time, and Jesus broke that and fed everybody. But where was their faith? They'd just seen that he could feed the 5,000, this time he'd feed 4,000. You know, folks, you can have faith and you can have it in the right person for the right things, and then sometimes you forget where you put it. <laughs> it's like God's got you through so much stuff, but this time, how many times has he helped you pay the bills? But this time is the time you're not going to make it. How many times has he helped you live another day? Oh, but this time it's the end. No, oh, maybe you just laid down your faith somewhere and Jesus says, hey, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Sometimes faith can be misplaced. Look at Romans chapter 1. We're looking up Instances in the Bible where it talks about your faith. Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. 
The Bible says, first, I thank my God, <coughs> Romans 1.8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Whoa, did you hear that? The Roman Christians' faith were spoken out throughout the whole world. Now, remember, these were Christians. Rome was the, the seat of uh, the Roman Empire. And Caesar was there. He was not friendly to Christians. They had gone through a lot of, of situations and, and a lot of attacks. Nero would eventually blame the Christians for all the bad things happening in the kingdom. And the Apostle Paul said, Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And here we find number three, the testimony of your faith can encourage others around the world. The testimony of your faith can encourage others around the world. See, you don't know how God's using your testimony. And that's probably a good thing. Because it's not about us anyway. If God blessed you too much, he'd have to give you a thorn in the flesh like the Apostle Paul. So it might be just best that you're not quite sure how he's using you, <laughs> right? But you just keep going. But faith says, my testimony matters. I may not see it. I may not understand how God's using my life. It may seem to me like it's, it's not working. But the Bible also says, be not weary in well-doing, doesn't it? God's using your testimony whether you know it or not. And it may seem like no one's listening. It may seem like that you're, that you're just treading water and it doesn't matter. But truthfully, God can use your testimony to encourage others even around the world. 1 Thessalonians 1.8 says something similar. I'll read it to you. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. The Thessalonians' faith were spread abroad. God was using their, the testimony of their faith. And so our faith is powerful. Number four, your faith must stand in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. This is what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, the power of your faith is not in your reasoning, in your intellect, in your understanding of philosophy or how the world works. The true power of your faith is that your faith is in the power of God. And that changes everything. Sometimes people will ask, how, how do you think, how do you think uh, Jonah was swallowed by a whale? God. And that's enough. Because my faith doesn't stand in the wisdom of men. Well, perhaps there was some unusual whale that, that through an a evolutionary process, some, some type of, of a mutation that allowed him to... No, you don't, you don't have to figure all that out. If God's involved, a whale can swallow a man Period. So, well, how could a flood cover the whole earth? And, and, and then how could the whole world come back? And then God. Well, how could the whole world be, be populated by two individuals? God. 
You see, every question can be answered if you make room for the power of God. That's why our faith is powerful, because we're not, we're not looking at the wisdom of men. Well, our faith is in the power of God. All right, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we learn the your faith, number five, if there is no resurrection, then your faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection, then your faith is in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. Now look at verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that He that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Why is the resurrection of Christ under such attack? Because if there is no resurrection, your faith doesn't matter. Thank God we know that there is a resurrection. Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, was buried, three days later rose again from the dead. A bodily, physical resurrection. And we thank God for that. Your faith. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1. We see number 6. Spiritual leaders don't seek dominion over your faith, but they help you to joyfully follow Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 24 Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. In my devotions this morning, uh, I was in Numbers uh, chapters 13 through 16. And in chapter 16, 15 and 16, you know, you see Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they rise up against Moses. And it's the same accusations that are made today against preachers. You take too much upon you. We're just like you are. God can talk to us too. Who do you think you are? Oh, this is awful. You brought us out of Egypt so you could lead us and and you could be over us. And they say, oh, preachers are just trying to build their own kingdom. Same craziness today. And this is what the accusations here that were made, there were accusations being made about the Apostle Paul. Oh, he thinks he's somebody. He he thinks he's, oh, he's an apostle, he's this, he, he thinks he's this or that. And that's why you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle Paul talking like he's answering critics because after the first book of Corinthians, there were critics saying, who does he think he is? And the apostle Paul's reminding them, spiritual leaders in your life are not here to have dominion over your faith, but to be helpers of your joy. For by faith ye stand. There are 
a handful of preachers out there, so-called preachers, who are in it for the wrong reason, doing it the wrong way. And they put a bad taste in everybody's mouth. They're selfish. They're proud. But folks, the average preacher out there is joyfully killing himself to serve God and the people of God. Fighting spiritual warfare no one knows about. Carrying burdens no one knows about. Physical, mental, emotional stresses that people can't conceive. And the average preacher has no desire to control anybody. He just wants to help people joyfully serve Christ. Amen? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10, and we see in verse 15, let me give you the point, number 7. It helps others when your faith is increased. It encourages others when your faith is increased. Look at verse 15, 2 Corinthians 10, 15. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, and having, but having hope, when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. He says, having hope, when, when your faith is increased, we shall be enlarged, enlarged by you. See, it helps others when your faith is increased. Those who are serving God, giving everything they have, it's a real encouragement when they see others step forward. But it's also just a real practical help. When someone steps up and begins taking on some of the burden of ministry, that's a big help. The 80-20 rule applies to Christian work. About 80% of the work done in most churches is accomplished by 20% of the people. Let me tell you, it's a big help when someone steps up and says, my faith is increased enough where I want to help. And then you can enlarge the whole ministry by your faith increasing. All right, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're learning what the Bible says about the phrase, your faith. We learn number 8. The testimony of your faith brings joy to others. The testimony of your faith brings joy to others. Look at Ephesians 1 and verses 15 and 16. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. See, the faith of the Ephesian Christians brought joy to the Apostle Paul. And in the previous verse, we learned that, that when faith is increased, it provides an actual practical help. But here we learn that it just gives joy. Colossians 1, verses 3 and 4 say a similar 
statements. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints. Colossians 2.5 For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 5-7 through seven. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you to us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. There's a situation where the Apostle Paul and his group was literally in affliction and distress but some of the joy that came in those dark days were hearing that the Thessalonian Christians were doing well in their faith. See, your faith can bring joy to others. And that's the power of your faith. Look at Philippians chapter 2. <coughs> Let me give you number 9. God's servants will sacrifice joyfully to help your faith increase. Your faith is so important that others will sacrifice to help your faith grow. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. He's joyfully sacrificing. Let me read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 2. And sent Timotheus, our brother and the minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. So here a special servant was sent to them so that their faith could be established and comforted. Uh, and this is the power of faith as God's servants will sacrifice joyfully to help your faith increase. It must be important. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We learn number 10, Christians who love you will pray over the obvious weaknesses of your faith. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Folks, can we say that none of us have arrived? All of us have gaps in our faith. We have weaknesses. We have lapses. And Christians who love you will pray over the obvious weaknesses of your faith so that they can grow. Once again, your faith is so important. People are investing and sacrificing in the growth of your faith. If other people are sacrificing in the growth of your faith, don't you think you should work to grow your own faith? That's what the Bible says, add to your faith. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians. Let me give you number 11. Committed Christians will give thanks for the increase of your faith. Those that love Jesus will be pleased when your faith increases. Now let me warn you, 
those that don't love Jesus will be unhappy when your faith increases. That's why as you start to serve the Lord, a natural separation will happen as you keep choosing Jesus. Your worldly friends or lost friends and family, a natural separation will occur because the people that love Jesus will be grateful, invest in the growth of your faith. The people that don't love Jesus will be saddened and upset by the growth of your faith and actually try to sabotage it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Look at James chapter 1. We're just walking through the New Testament here, looking at what the Bible says about the phrase, Your faith. James chapter 1, let me give you the truth. Number 12, the trying of your faith brings patience. The trying of your faith brings patience. James chapter 1 and verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. There's only one way to get patience, folks, and that is to have it tried repeatedly. And as you wail and whine and get angry and get upset and become more and more impatient, eventually you'll submit to it. And you'll learn to be patient through many trials. We breed Shih Tzus and we do a bit of dog training. And when you teach a puppy to walk on a leash... And I'm teaching new, uh, new families how to leash train their puppy. You have to prepare them for it. Because when you put that leash on the dog the first time and you don't let go of the other end, it's like a bucket, bucking bronco at a rodeo. They've never had that on their neck. They've always just been able to go where they wanted to. And they will begin fighting against that leash. What do you do? You hold on to it. And they fight, and they fight, and they yank, and they try to bite it, and they try to bite it, and they gnaw on it, and they growl at it, and they, they, they pull away from it, and then they whine, and then they bark, and then they cry, and then they'll bite it again. But if you're patient, in three to four minutes, and that's a long time, sometimes in two minutes, usually most dog issues can be a dog will submit to them within five minutes. If you just stand there and wait, eventually the dog will stop fighting. It's just that simple. They have to go through it enough to learn this leash is part of my life now. And you know what happens when Christians go through trials? We run from them. We fight against them. We get angry. We holler. We cry. We get upset. We try to run from it. We complain. But eventually you just figure out that this life's full of trouble. And the best response you can have to trials is faith and patience. 
As soon as you identify there's a whole bunch of stuff in your life that you can't control and you stop trying to control it, your life increases immediately. The joy in your life increases immediately. Because you learn to give those things to God and then be patient. The trying of your faith works patience. Your faith will be tried the best thing you can do is submit to God during those trials. You ever notice that some older people, or people that have been through a lot, they're not, they're not phased by the normal everyday problems? You know, someone who's almost died, they have a different perspective in life usually. Someone who's been through some deep and dark valleys aren't ready to kill somebody when someone cuts them off driving down the road. Typically. Now, that's if they haven't surrendered yet, then yeah, in the middle of that, you just might do something foolish. But after you've surrendered to God over and over and over in deep, dark trials, and even little trials, you just have a patience, a settling a depth of character and faith that doesn't come any other way. Amen? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we've just got a few more here. 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Let me give you the truth. Number 13, the successful trial of your faith brings glory to Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 7, now let's look at verse 6 as well. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So the successful trial of your faith actually brings glory to Christ. And your faith is going to be tried. But notice what the Bible says. The trial of your faith is more precious than gold. That means the trials you go through are actually more beneficial than if you had a brick of gold. Because trials of your faith bring you things you can't buy with money. And as you successfully have faith and patience through these trials, ultimately... It betters you, makes you more like Christ, and it brings glory to Christ. Isn't that a blessing? Well, sometimes we just have the wrong perspective about the things we're going through. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. This is number 14. When you get to heaven, you will receive the ultimate end of your faith. The finish line of your faith is glory. It's when you step into heaven. Your faith has now become sight. So the end of your faith, the finish line of your faith is heaven. And oh, what a day that will be when our Savior we will see. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. The Bible says, who by him do believe in God, 
that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. This is truth number 15. God chose that salvation would be through the death and burial and resurrection of Christ so that your faith would be in God. Aren't you glad you don't have to try to work your way to heaven? Aren't you glad you don't have to buy your way to heaven? There's not some checklist of things you have to do in order to earn your way. Because wait a minute, if you earned your way to heaven, your faith would be in who? It'd be in you. But no, God chose the way of salvation so that your faith would be in God. And ultimately, that's the only way anybody gets to heaven is by believing in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we say, lastly here, all the way back to where we started, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, let me give you truth number 16. You must add to your faith growing in maturity and character. When we get to the point where we're, we're studying these things we're supposed to add to our faith, a lot of them have to do with Christian character. You know, when you got saved, your, your soul was born again. Your sins were cleansed, but you didn't automatically get new character. You didn't automatically become a... Your flesh did not automatically become like Jesus. If you had a problem getting up in the morning before you got saved, you probably still had trouble getting up in the morning after you got saved. If you were lazy before you got saved, you're probably lazy the day after you got saved. We have to grow in grace. Now, everything that we will ever need is within us at that moment we get saved. The Holy Spirit of God can mold us and shape us. It's like a baby a human infant is born with everything it will ever have. Ten fingers and ten toes and two eyes and two ears and one nose and one mouth and, and all, of, all of this. It, it is what, it, what it's going to be is, is contained within it, but it needs to grow. It needs to mature. And over the course of time, it learns how to use those hands and how to use those feet and how to use that mouth to become a productive human being. And when you got born again, you were, you were complete in that moment. You were as saved as you're ever going to be. But there needs to be a maturing where you learn to use all the wonderful gifts God gave you at the moment of salvation. And this is why we add to our faith. And hopefully that helps us, folks. Your faith is more precious than anything this world has to offer. It's more powerful than you imagine. God is using it and will use it in ways that you have never even dreamt of. It will change your life. It will better your family. It can affect people around the world. Your faith. And the faith becomes your faith when you take Jesus as your own. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our faith, that we can make it personal. And thank you that we've just learned in a quick overview here in the Scriptures how powerful our faith 
is, and can be. And I pray tonight that you would help us to understand its importance. And Lord, that we would seek to add to our faith all the wonderful things that you'd have us add to it as we grow in grace. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you take just a moment there in your seat? Say a prayer to the Lord. What did the Lord speak to your heart about? Did you thank the Lord for your faith today? Did you thank Him for saving you? Would you ask Him to help you add to your faith all the wonderful things that He wants to? When we talk about adding to your faith, we're talking about letting, growing in your faith, adding those Christian graces that God has prepared. Our Father, I pray that you would dismiss us with your provision and protection, bless the offering, take care of our, our folks who are hurting, sick. Lord, and those who are just not as close to you as they ought to be, my heart hurts for them, and I'm worried about them. I pray you'd draw them close to you, even now.